our incorporation was was blocked by it, and without the entity, we couldn't get the funding. Yeah. So we w- waited. After three weeks, we opened the letter. We were like, "Thank God!" And we saw they mistyped our company name. And then we actually already had to go to San Francisco without the money. So we had to pay the first rent out of pocket. And there we were like, like we were approaching the second month rent due, and we had no way to pay for it really. <laughs> And there, it was like, oh, like God. we tried to like change this thing, but they wanted us to like resubmit the application, which would then get wait another three weeks to send the letter to Switzerland while we were in San Francisco already. I called the IRS so many times, and we're like, like no way, please, like there there needs to be something that you can do to get this letter to us, not in physical form, right? And so they're like, okay, we can fax it to you, right? And we're like, okay, but we, we don't have a, a fax, right? We don't have a fax machine. What, what I ended up doing was I had to, I, I bought a bike in San Francisco. I, I called every single postal office and UPS office in San Francisco. I called them, and this is such a hilarious story. I called them, I was like, can I use your fax machine? And they were like, what? <laughs> Welcome to Before They Change the World where we explore the minds, ideas, and dreams of exceptional students working on inspiring projects before they change the world. This episode is hosted by me, David, and today I speak with Jan, who you might remember from his first appearance on the podcast about six months ago. Jan is the founder of Waveline, a B2B workflow automation startup. In our conversation, we dive into what Jan's team has been up to since the last time we spoke, and notably, his first-hand experience of going through the Y Combinator batch at the start of this year in San Francisco. You'll hear about their application process to Y Combinator, their pivot during the batch, the experience of living with his co-founders for four months in an Airbnb, and of building and fundraising for a startup in the fast-moving generative AI space. I hope you enjoy So just to give a recap to the people that didn't watch the first episode, the last time that you were here on the podcast, it was more than half a year ago, I would say. And at that point, you had just launched your first product with your current team, which was called Generai, that allowed people to create images for for fine art or for print from just text using generative AI. And I think, I don't know if it was a week after the the episode that we had that you got invited to an interview with YC and then you ended up getting into into Y Combinator this accelerator do you remember those times a bit yeah it was funny right because we we initially just had some initial momentum with launching Generai we went to Zurich Popcon which was still I think a very cherished moment for the team and we started to go on a really nice trajectory and then we out of nowhere kind of applied to Y Combinator and got an interview. And back then, we really even didn't know YC too well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was more of like a link that we got sent to to apply for. And when we got the interview, we were like, holy shit, because we didn't really think we'd get accepted. With the interview, that kind of changed. And then I remember being very frantic about damn, this time I actually like, need to prepare for it. And we got the interview. It went quite different 
than expected, but eventually still got accepted, which was really nice. And well, yeah, this was kind of a very big turnaround, I think, in all our lives yeah. now resulting in us pursuing startup life. Let's yeah. Say. Yeah. No, we'll get into all of that. Why see your, your pivot? So just to hang around this, this part of last year. So you're saying that when you actually submitted the written application, you weren't taking it too seriously at that point. You were like applying with Generai. But then when you got the interview, it was like, okay, let's like prepare very seriously for this or... Yeah, I mean, we, we, we did the application very sincerely. We, okay. didn't, we, didn't, we did do it seriously, okay. but we did do it also very sincerely with not very high expectations mm-hmm. and also not very, really realizing what we were going to sign up for. Because, mm-hmm. well, yeah, we, as I said, we, we, we knew it was very, a very good program. We didn't know it was like YC. <laughs> and uh, yeah, but that's basically it. Yeah, we signed yeah. up and we got an interview. And in the first interview, actually... It was still kind of like, oh, nice. like let's go. That's an achievement, right? We, mm-hmm. we got a YC interview, first try. And then the interview was a bit weird for us. Okay. But after the interview, it was more like, holy shit, like this could actually happen. And then oh. it, it did. Okay. Which is funny. Wait, wait, wait. So what happened then in that interview? Like, how was it weird, <clears throat> but then gave you the feeling after? That? Yeah. So one funny thing is, like, we, we did some programs prior to YC especially we for example did venture kick right mm-hmm. and the application for venture kick was you know very thought through very streamlined very everything mm-hmm. and YC is very different cuz like the funny thing is that the interview is 10 minutes and 10 minutes go by very fast mm-hmm. and we were kind of prepared to you know, know your numbers. I, I crunched every number we had. Uh, I re- like rehearsed the pitch, stuff like this. In the end, there were like three main questions they asked. And I don't know, like at the end of the interview, we were like, what happens? Like <laughs> they, there was no information. They don't even know what we're doing, oh, what? which was really funny. Like it was, we were ready to like go in depth about the technicalities that we did with our own models and own fine tuning. But at the end, we felt like we messed up because we couldn't even tell anything about our product really, which was oh, funny. So did they emphasize on the problem or the team or the market? Yeah. What was... So I think the main three questions they asked was actually the first one, which was dear to them is, did you do it yourself, right? Mm. Did, was it your own models? Did you, or did you just call some API mm. where we were obviously good to answer that we wrote all the code ourselves, right? Mm. The other one was one that kind of caught me by surprise, which was, how are you going to become a billion dollar company, <laughs> right? And there I try to reason with like, you know, with Generai especially, going into physical products gives a huge market space with like physical t-shirts, expanding to you know, canvas, shower curtains, whatnot, right? Maybe even become a clothing brand, mm-hmm. right? Which they said, if I was familiar with Teespring, are you familiar with yeah, Teespring? Okay. Because they counted with Teespring only being like 750 million worth. And I was like, for a split second, I was like, okay, (laughs) that's good, right? (laughs) Are they seriously 
trying to get me to say that we're going to be larger than Teespring, but this is exactly what they wanted to hear, basically. Uh, uh-huh. So this question was one that I flunked a bit. Mm-hmm. I wasn't confident enough. Mm-hmm. And I think the third question was actually whether we already had or considered doing different things. You know, they really wanted, like YC, which I realized in hindsight, is very big on pivoting. Mm -hmm. So they don't invest in the idea necessarily, they invest in the team, right? Mm -hmm. And they wanted really to see that we're not like a one-trick pony that has one thing and if it fails, we would fall apart. But we have like, you know, plan C, plan B, and everything such that we could iterate fast if something fails and validate fast. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, those were the three questions, right? So like, do we, did we write the code ourselves? How are you going to become a billion dollar company? And what are other ideas you already considered? And after, like, after that, we were like, they, they don't know, what, how would they know, right? Yeah. Based on this, they yeah. would make the decision to invest quite a, quite a big amount in us, yeah. right? Which is so, which was so strange to us because yeah. you know going through the other process with like a fraction of the amounts were so much more streamlined, yeah. so much more like professional, right? Yeah, and yeah. there they were due just, diligence and all of that. Yeah, and... they were like, okay, ten minute interview, just some random like surface level questions, yeah. and that's it. Wow. So, how much <clears throat> do you think they can tell that's like underneath those questions? Do they? Like, because the four of you were there, I guess, the founding team. I guess you were doing most of the talking or how? Yeah. 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 Like, the thing is, it, time is valuable, right? So, usually, it's really critical to see who talks for what subjects. Mm-hmm. And I think for your first part of the question, they're just professionals. Like, yeah. I, I don't know how they do it, but they've, you know, they've seen thousands of teams and they also saw how like the outcomes were of those teams mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so i think they could like read between the lines so well of these questions that questions were very carefully chosen mm-hmm. i feel like yeah. even though like at first glance being very random yeah, yeah and yeah i think they're just like really good at like picking out teams that yeah. i don't know i don't know what i still don't know exactly why they asked these questions right but it worked out for right them right right much. And I mean, I guess, how much, yeah, I mean, I still think that like the written application plays a, a huge role, right? Like, uh, do you see it more like the the interview being more like a sanity check on top of the, the written application or? I actually think, I think the written application is like a partaking in a raffle. And in the written application, I think you have some check marks that you need to fulfill to even get considered. And from there though, it's it's a luck game, I think, to get an interview really. Because you need to have a partner looking at your application and say like, hey, like that's it, I want to interview these guys, mm-hmm. right? So that's why I think a lot of people, especially in the batch, they've been applying for a long time and then finally got selected for the interview. So I think getting the interview is actually mostly luck-based. Mm-hmm. But then in the interview, you need to like hammer the nail in the coffin, right? Yeah. Be like very precise, very strict. Yeah. And from there, it's mostly, I think, I guess, skill yeah. or whatever. You can influence the interview a lot. You yeah. can't influence whether you get it, though, I right. think. Right, right, right. Yeah. See. 
So the the people on the other side, there were like what, like three other three partners from my side. Yes, yes. Or? There was our main partner Dalton, which mm -hmm. picked our application, and then there were also other yeah. group partners like Partake. Okay, and so Dalton ended up being your like main partner, or how exactly, does it work? exactly. You you get assigned a group partner and a visiting partner mm -hmm. and your group partner is basically one that's very like much affiliated to YC I mean we got Dalton who's like one of the, <laughs> yeah, the main faces right? yeah and we got Liz who was a really nice visiting partner I enjoyed her company a lot and yeah there's basically then this duo that takes care of you throughout the batch and cool thing is also after it so we're still able to like talk to them schedule office hours so. oh that's so cool that's so cool do you actually remember the moment where you got the the positive decision? Yes, that's also a funny story. Me and Nicholas were actually like at ETH. I was just preparing a Dungeon and Dragon session. Actually, I was gonna be with my friends. And the thing is, the the application process or the acceptance process was actually not that streamlined. I think they maybe changed it. So because it says on the website explicitly after the interview if you get accepted you'll get a call right mm. rejections go by email acceptance go by a call okay one day after the interview there was an email in our inbox from yc and we're like ah happens right yeah. i mean we weren't expecting right like we were expecting mm -hmm. it we're like i mean we got the interview which is really nice which already validated some yeah. stuff and the email said though hey we want to talk to you tomorrow at this time that's right? exactly what happened to Max. And then, exactly. And then we were like, we were, we Googled. Like, I Googled, I, I went and read it. I was like, what, what does this mean? Yeah. And they were like, like all the posts says, okay, there's, in some cases, there's re interviews. Uh -huh. Right? And I was like, okay, God, like, then this was the moment for me that it kind of came real, or it kind of became like a real chance yeah, that we yeah, yeah, get yeah. in. And there I was like, okay, I got a few hours less than a day to like really prepare for this re-interview right i have to nail it yeah. right so i i went to my computer i i pulled up my data science skills and pulled up like ev calculated every number from like retention to mrr to to anything you can imagine and like wanted to crunch these numbers right be really prepared for the re-interview because mm -hmm. they said like okay re-interview is way tougher right it, it literally like oh. i had i remember seeing this one reddit comment that was basically describing exactly our situation <laughs> where they felt like after the first interview that they didn't like get mm -hmm. any information out of you so that's why they want to re-interview you because they couldn't make a decision based off the information they got. I was like, ah, yeah, of course, nice. makes sense, yeah, right? Yeah. Makes sense. So we got the uh, re-interview and I remember like this time I was nervous. The first time I was like, okay, like we're going to give us best shot. We were like really honest and upfront, I think, which was appreciated. The second time, I think if, I, if it would have been a re-interview, it would have been uh, like I would have maybe flogged because I'm really nervous. But uh -huh. we we went into the call, and uh, there was only Dalton. Okay. And we were, like I was so ready. And then the first question of his was like, "Okay, 
Um, if you would get accepted, would you move to San Francisco? And we, the thing is, okay, that's a funny thing as well, because they, they asked us this at the end of the first interview as well. Uh-huh. And we kind of tried to dodge this question because we thought they would want us to move permanently. Mm. And this also is what like some of us kept up at night because when they saw the, the interview, they were like, oh, God damn, do, will I need to like, permanently move to America now uh-huh. if I want to do YC, right? Yeah. And in the second one, we kind of like, we told out like, I mean, it's a really big step to move permanently to the US. <laughs> for, and he was like, what do you mean? Like, no, for the batch. Are you willing to move for the batch? And we're like, everyone was oh, like, yeah. of course. Like, well, hell, hell yes, right? Three months to San Francisco for us. And we're like, okay, you're in. What? And like, what? <laughs> and then like, everyone was really freaking out right because the thing is in front of Dalton it's because I I think I'm not sure why they changed the procedure I think it's just they want to see the reactions on the phone it's not that funny but we were so stressed out because I think we were the first batch that they changed like Uh, the acceptance call to the acceptance interview and the funny thing is I like the whole team was scattered as well like Stan I think was in Bangladesh and he, it was like it oh, was like 12 joining from different it was like 12 a.m. for him and he was in the hotel lobby taking this call right and it was like it was the, I remember like the lights going out for him it like, but it, like when we got in like everyone was freaking out right which is it was a good moment yeah very memorable wow that's so nice <laughs> well I guess you could have told Max about that because he had like a similar procedure and I think he was not sure what was going to happen in the re-interview yeah, yeah I, 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 he actually texted me or I oh, think okay. Lotte texted me and told him I don't want to make any promises yeah, right yeah, yeah. but we got the same email oh. <laughs> and they also got Dalton okay. as a group partner Dalton just and I was like you. I was like you know I don't want to make any like it, it would be sad to like give high hopes and then yeah, like, yeah, yeah. but uh, apparently it was the same oh, for okay, them yeah okay. so nice. I actually I actually told them they reached out to me and I told them what we nice. experienced awesome so okay now I want to get into the the area that you kind of touched on which is that YC is very big on pivots right for you guys you obviously I know now that you pivoted but I'm very interested into I mean first I would like to know what you pivoted into also for the audience. And when you decided to make this decision and, and yeah, like the main, the main reasons behind it. Yeah. So I think the decision actually came quite early already. So sure. Like during the interview, we already like knew or with especially the question, like, okay, what different kind of ideas have you considered? Mm. We knew that. Uh, there was something we probably would pivot into. Further down the line, we especially also ourselves with the general launch realized that B2C, despite it being, I think, very fulfilling to work on, we were not cut out to do B2C with a team of four technical people. Because yeah. I remember we even struggled to set up an Instagram account for it, right? <laughs> so when we were four techies doing B2C was a bit hard. Uh-huh. So we knew that we would more probably want to move into B2B, mm-hmm. right? So sell to businesses. And well, the question then was, okay, can we take our current product and go B2B with it? Or should we do something else, right? Mm-hmm. And this led us to what was called, or what is called the pivot hell, okay. which is basically you brainstorming the whole day, really feeling like getting nothing done, trying to like do user interviews, right? Trying to find these problems. Because 
what we also were, you know, like Chennai honestly was never meant to be a billion dollar company, right? It started as a fun personal project. And I think it was a massive success for all of us. And it will always be like very loved in our heart. But the initial baseline was really not there. So what we wanted to do was like, okay, we wanted to like do the YC way, guide us. They have a really good knowledge base on all this. And what they call it, what we were, was a solution in search of a problem, mm-hmm. right? So because Genera was really... Cool product. It was a cool, cool product, but, you know, the initial thought of like people wanting to generate their own art and print it, it didn't really validate. There, like, there were, of course, people using us to generate uh, images, which still there are, mm-hmm. which is really nice. But the whole like physical product kind of thing, I don't know, it just didn't really happen mm-hmm. for us. Maybe it was badly marketed. Mm-hmm. We don't know. But what we knew is that we didn't want to be a solution in search of a problem. We wanted to start with a problem, mm-hmm. right? And then build a solution for that problem. Mm-hmm. And what's the first step about this is basically finding a problem, right? So what we did was talk to people, talk to businesses and just brainstorm. And this took us like, we, we you know, we bought a whiteboard and stuff like that. And it took us, it, this was a very, at the very start of the batch. Yeah. Okay. The timing of this is like, you had started the batch like first week yes. as Generai. And then yes, as, yes. We, like, we still got like the batch and everything uh-huh. as Generai. But we already came into the batch knowing that we're probably going to pivot. Mm-hmm. Uh, for Generai, we, we finished it up first. So we still had some, you know, like, con- like zones that we wanted to do. We had a marketplace that we kind of wanted to release to really, you know, be able to find closure with mm-hmm. Generai, which we all did. And now it's still up and running. Oh. You know, people still use it. And this was quite important to most of us, I think. And then at the start of the batch, we really went like, okay, January is now finished. It's it's a self-serving thing. It's up and running. We can now completely focus on something else, right? And then we went into like pivot mode, brainstorm mode for like two weeks, yeah. right? And this was also, of course, the time where like all the language model things, they were right. massively exploding. And especially what we also realized in the B2B sector Language is just so much more prevalent than images. Mm -hmm. So this is why we actually eventually decided to go the language model path. Because, you know, like everyone has documents they need to process. Mm -hmm. Everyone has emails they need to write. Mm -hmm. Not many people need images Mm -hmm. from somewhere, right? And yeah, that was basically the start of the batch to go into pivot mode. And eventually we got Waveline out of it, which is a a automation tool using AI, especially LLMs. And now we just actually launched a new product yesterday, which is the niche we're currently going down to, which is basically intelligent document processing. Mm -hmm. Um, And we do one thing currently really well, which is basically you give us like a text, a PDF, a document in general, and we extract you specific things that you want to um, mm-hmm. extract. So you have an invoice, you want a summarization of your expenses, we do that for you. So basically, in short, you provide us with a document in a JSON with keywords, mm-hmm. and we will provide you, we will fill out your JSON yeah. with the correct values. Nice. Right? That's basically nice. it. Okay, so 
you started with like the I think when I first went to the new or the first Waveline website, it seemed like a suite of products, right? And it, I think the product is called Waveline Flow or, or something yes. like that, where you can, it's like you can architect your own AI automation pipeline. So how, yeah, like how do those products work together? Do you still run the Waveline Flow or how? Exactly. So the very initial pivot idea that got us out to out of Pivot Hell was really just... Uh, we saw also internally that we used LLMs as a RPA tool, basically. So we used uh, stuff like GPT to do some email outbound, to do really like internal business process automation, mm-hmm. right? And so what we wanted to do was basically a low-code interface for mostly business-oriented people such that they could use those capabilities to will automate internal processes mm-hmm. on their side, right? And this is how Waveline Flow was born, where it was a really horizontal platform of, you know, you being able to use LLMs or also generally AI models to do process automation, basically. Okay. And further down the line, we got our first customers, right? Mm-hmm. And they were quite diverse in the use case. Uh, we had something from like, you know, podcasts, uh, people to vets, mm-hmm. which is really funny. And what we saw especially was that most of the people actually used one block and mm-hmm. one block only, which was called the NLP extract block, which is basically extracting information, specific keywords, and filling out mm-hmm. these or like searching for yeah. the associated information from a like large document or text. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Unstructured to st- structured, yeah. right? And this led to us like really seeing the demand right. on this specific application. And especially since we were a very horizontal platform, we really wanted to see you know the different use cases such that we could probably pick one right. and then Smart. go vertical into it. Right. Because maintaining a horizontal platform is really hard. Because yeah, yeah. usually you if you do multiple things you don't do them too well. Mm-hmm. Right. And if now we really want to do one thing and one thing really yeah. well. And this is what got us to like this specific use case yeah. where we're now doing intelligent document processing using okay. LLMs. Okay, but then, so <clears throat> I want to understand like the, the timing of this. Did you actually build that horizontal product, just a crappy version of it so that you could like acquire first customers? Or was it more like, you know, cold calling customers, asking them if they would use this product? No, we, we actually built it. Okay. We built it. That was... Like one month throughout or after we got out of the pivot, we actually built it quite well or quite fast and we got customers using it, right? Wow. And yeah, I mean, that's the good part about being four people, I think. Yeah. Like if we move into one direction, if we get the ball rolling, yeah. it's, it's rolling fast, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The difficult thing about the bigger team is, I think, maneuvering, yeah. right? Because if you're mm-hmm. going through multiple pivots... No startup is constant change, yeah. right? Yeah. And you all need to be on the same track to, yeah. for it to work. And yeah, yeah, eventually we saw these customers really using it. We had uh, tons of people also on our wait list trying to use it. And from this demand, we could then specifically select. And also what we also did was realize really that this platform was a bit too much to start with because, mm-hmm. you know, customers were using it. 
But if you have to support one with their podcast extraction and the other one with their medical clinic document processing, it gets really hard and really out of hand quickly, right? So what we wanted to do is, you know, go a bit more vertical, less horizontal. Okay, man, that's so cool. So I have so many questions. Like, how did you actually generate demand for the product? I know that YC likes to back B2B startups because then the other startups in your batch can be your customers. But were those your, where the main customers came from? Yeah, so that is also, I think, one big thing why the pivot into B2B in YC especially mm. is is so much more valuable mm. because you have all these potential customers in YC, not only in your batch, but also from previous batches that you have warm intros to, mm. right? Mm. So you can directly text them and there is also a forum where you can launch your own product where for other people to see, mm. right? So there you usually get your initial traction because, yeah. you know, these people also are founders. Yeah. They know what it's like to like work with a startup and in a startup. Yeah. And it's really good to like get this initial traction, work with them very closely, try to make them happy. Mm-hmm. Right. And they can give very good feedback as well. Okay. So that was the initial thing that kickstarted some demand. Right. And then... Did you also target customers that were outside of YC and were they mostly in the US or, yeah, because I'm also wondering, you know, you guys were yeah. new to, to San Francisco, like it was your first time there, I guess. So how, how was that to sell to like customers from a different culture and from industries that you've never really been a part of? Like how? Yeah, it's, it's very different. Americans have such a different mindset, I think, compared to Europe. To be honest, I think Americans actually are way more open to work with startups. Mm-hmm. And I think for us, actually, outbound wasn't like one thing we did too much. Okay. We actually like did some different product launches, you know, on different things like Product Hunt or also, of course, YC could like post us on LinkedIn where mm-hmm. we got a lot of uh, traction from there. We honestly got a lot of inbound, okay. like naturally, which was really nice for us that we could just process, you know. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's super nice. <laughs> that's a good problem to have <laughs> too much inbound. Okay, nice. But for instance, like this podcast or vet example, they were not inside YC, right? Exactly. The podcast one actually was, was the vet was not. Okay. Okay. And so what was the timing of you deciding to select one vertical? Yeah. This actually was quite at the end of the batch okay. where we really like exhausted all opportunities and all possibilities we had. We had a good knowledge base of what people were using us for, what people would want to have automated and what was also really possible to like narrow down in, but still be very scalable, yeah. right? So that was towards the end of the batch. Now we came back to Switzerland, yeah. finished up the product, and are now yeah, like launched rolling. It recently. Yeah. Nice. Okay, so actually, just just to know like the details of how you guys like getting down to to really the specifics of you know you finish this product. How do you launch it? Like, what are the specific steps that you guys? Okay. How do you think about specific that? steps? First of all launch it to our batchmates, mm-hmm. right? These people, they, YC really cultivates a culture which, like, you know, other startups should help mm-hmm. uh, your startup and vice versa, mm-hmm. right? So these people are very helpful. You help them. Mm-hmm. So you, you, you send, you have internal text messages. You send them a link. You say, hey, can you check us out? Are you interested in working with us? We do this. You might want to 
have a look, right? Mm -hmm. Second would be launching it on to the wider YC community on their forum. Mm -hmm. And then third is like going public with it, yeah. right? When you have the initial validation from these people, you can go on, you know, Reddit, Product Hunt, LinkedIn, Twitter, like mm -hmm. everything like this. You just want to like put yourself out there and then you just want to maximize your chances of something happening, yeah. right? Because I've seen plenty of examples where people, you know, they, they had a very early product. They didn't know quite what direction they wanted to go in, but through some like, you know, Reddit post they did, they actually got a DM of a customer that would pay them a very good amount for this exact thing, right? right? right so right. this is exactly what you usually do. You just like have to put yourself out there. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I think actually Dalton says this, like, maximize the chances of something good happening to you. <laughs> exactly. And I think also, like, you know, you have office hours at least once a week. Mm -hmm. And there also, you know, main question is, why haven't you launched it? Why haven't you launched it? Yeah, right? Because yeah. they really force you to, like, put yourself out there even when you're still vulnerable. Because yeah. that's where you, it hurts the most, but you learn a lot. Yeah, right? yeah. Okay, so... I want to touch a bit on the like how how YC works from the inside. So like some things that you know maybe you can just share off the bat, which are also things that you can find online. But like how what's the YC deal? How long is the program? You know where did you guys stay? All of that. Yeah, sure. I mean the YC deal I think is best explained on their website. They have a really nice page on it. I think generally a lot of people think it's a bit off-putting that they, they it's a two-sided deal, right? Mm -hmm. You have 125,000 you give away for 7% equity, which gives you an evaluation under 2 million, mm -hmm. right? And then the other one is a MFN safe, which is for the rest of the half a million. And one thing I see a lot is that the 7% for 125K is off-putting for, or scary, for a lot of people, especially like since they think YC takes a big chunk. Usually, I think you should only be scared of it if you have a previous round raised already with triggers that would be or like that would cause your evaluation to be capped for these. Like if you have MFN saves previously that would get capped at the two million, I think this would be probably bad for you to take the deal. Otherwise, I think. There, there's nothing better out there that you can get yeah. than this. Like the, not only the money, but also the whole knowledge base and community you get from this deal is just like, I, I have rarely, or well, actually never seen a YC alumni that regretted doing YC because of the money as well. Right. Like it's, it's really, it's a really good deal out there that mm -hmm. most people, like 99% people, unless you have, like, as I said, some previous round complications should take, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. Okay. And so, the, and the program is like three months? True. Yeah. The program is, I think, a bit more than three months because okay. uh, you arrive. Well, we stay for like four months because okay. you arrive a bit early. You actually like have to look for accommodation and everything yourself mm -hmm. yc gives you recommendations on where to live mm -hmm. and then you just like what we did was we rented an airbnb watch out the rent prices in san francisco are horrendous i was very surprised i actually thought we were getting scammed the first time <laughs> i saw rent prices on airbnb because i thought we, we booked relatively 
short term. So I felt like, Jesus Christ, everything's booked out except for like the super expensive places. Yeah. But it really is normal to pay $2,000 a month per person in San Francisco. It's, it's crazy. Like this is considered normal. It's not even, it, which is crazy. One thing also YC heavily encourages you to do is not to get an office or at least not a shared office space. So what we did is we really like turned our flat. We, we kind of went for a nicer apartment, but turned it into like this hacker house, startup house, mm-hmm. where we would buy four desks, buy four monitors, and then transform our living room into our office, yeah. right? So we would all live together. We would sleep together. We'd eat together. We'd work together, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. And this is, I think, why YC is also so, so effective because it gives you this time, this three months of like pure crunch where you really like get to know each other as a team, can work together 24-7, which is really cool. For the program in general, I think there's um, actually that your time schedule is surprisingly not packed. Compared to like other accelerators like Techstars, YC wants you to like build most of the time. Mm-hmm. They give, there's a really cool event, which is the retreat mm-hmm. at the start of the batch where everyone comes into a really nice location for like, an extended weekend gets to do some really fun activities. I think we did like ice sculpting and wine tasting and thing, which was really nice. But then after that, that the crunch starts, right? <laughs> and YC, apart from office hours every week, and I think one extra event every week, and every week also one evening where everyone would just meet up at a location that you could talk to each other was apart from these like three things a week just building like they don't have like too many talks they don't have too many lectures Mm -hmm. because everything is in written form and you can look at it when you want to and i think most of yc really is just being in your airbnb and just work on your product yeah 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 Amazing. It's so funny also that Airbnb is a YC yeah. startup. Yeah, exactly, like exactly. <laughs> and I think towards the end of the program, of course, there's also Demo Day, which yeah. is there to like raise money if you need it. Mm-hmm. And the good thing is now with the new YC deal, usually people don't need don't need to raise extra money if, you, if they don't want to. They still heavily encourage you to do so just to also get like through the whole process of yeah. like talking to VCs, yeah. raising rounds, negotiating term sheets yeah. and due diligence and stuff like this. Yeah. Okay. So in your case, were you at Demo Day then like wanting to raise money or? Okay. Yes, we, we, we did Demo Day. We raised money at Demo Day. We didn't raise too much though thing since we... Actually, the good thing about us is we came straight out of college. Mm-hmm. So we didn't want to dilute our company too much. Mm-hmm. And we were very comfortable already with the amount of money we already got from YC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so you basically like only took money at good terms or from investors? Exactly. Really we, were quite, on... we were quite picky with investors. And we will generally, I think, which is one thing that people underestimate is how insane the YC stamp gives you on your terms they can raise at, which is again why the 375 MFN will give you still a very good overall deal, even though if you take the 7%. Right, right, right. Because the valuation that you can go at is quite high. Yeah. Nice. So, yeah, I've like my only reference to Demo Day is from this 
recording they have of DoorDash's pitch. But I, I'm really wondering what it's like from the inside. Were, were you the one pitching, and how? Yeah. How was it? Um, this, this time, actually, since we we still like kind of were in Corona-ish, it was on Zoom, ah. which was like a bit sad because you didn't have that good stage feeling. It was in the, on the other side really good because there were like five times as many VCs that mm. were watching, mm. right? So it's a trade-off, right? Mm. But currently it was a, you pitch on Zoom, you can prepare one slide and you talk about your company Wait, in a very brief pitch. Wait, what? Yeah. You have one slide? You have one slide. <laughs> it, they, they focus on the speaker a lot. Oh, wow. Wait, so you have one slide and how long can you talk? One minute. Oh, sh- and, and there's a Q&A after? No. Or- Wait, <laughs> it's basically demo day is so the thing is like from inside of YC's perspective now you usually start raising before demo day mm-hmm. demo day mostly is on the one like a mental thing to really like have closure yeah. with the batch yeah. for yourself because yeah. I had plenty of people that already like raised their whole round before yeah, demo day. So demo day for them was more of a formality. Yeah, yeah. And on the other hand, it just gives you additional leads for investors that just come in yeah. and can talk to you. So there's no like direct investments after demo day. Demo day is here to like show the investors, hey, who are you? Why should you invest? Yeah. Talk to us, okay. basically, right? So you get yeah. tons of inbound after demo day and yeah. then you go through them okay. uh, in a like one by one very thought out okay. procedure. So it was like demo day and then after <laughs> weeks after your calendar was like packed yes. meetings? Yes, I I actually did like I think forty meetings in a week or something, wow. which was crazy. Yeah, that was I remember like the first week after demo day I kinda well, I didn't know what was coming and I just sent them my calendly and then <laughs> next day I, I saw eight meetings a day for the whole week uh, which was that was a fun week (laughs) yeah but yeah basically yes like the the, that's also one very privileged thing i think is i we have not outreached to one single investors they all inbounded us right wow so okay how like, I guess the, the thinking for you was we have the momentum of YC, let's raise some more money to give us extra runway and so that we don't have to focus on fundraising for a while. Yeah, exactly. For, for us, it was mostly like we wanted to get two years of runway. Oh, okay. More than that, usually it's not really needed. And what YC is also quite fierce about is do not hire early, mm-hmm. right? And hiring, I think, is one of the things that, like, burns your runway the fastest because we as founders even though we're four we're quite you know comfortable on like not a too high of a salary Mm -hmm. and so we didn't need to raise too much to be comfortable well uh, to be comfortable to be honest we didn't even have to raise anything we still did just to like Mm -hmm. go through the whole procedure and i mean the terms are still really good Mm -hmm. we didn't want to go for like this high dilution though Mm -hmm. okay cool and so you guys, going back to the whole group idea, like you have these these sessions every week and this is with a, a group inside the YC batch, right? How, how big is the whole YC batch and how big is the, the group? Okay, yeah. So the it actually, like the office hours alternate every week. You can like book an office hour whenever you want, but there's at least 
one with your partner on one-on-one -on -one mm -hmm. every two weeks. Mm -hmm. And the rest is a section office hour, which basically you can assign a section, mm -hmm. which is like a handful of startups, like I think like six or something, which are in a very similar field than you. And then you do like you can exchange and see what others are doing, set some goals, do some discussions, right? Okay. This is basically how it's set up. Okay. And I've also heard that YC, you know, accepts companies that are direct competitors of each other. Did you guys have that and how, how was that? If you... Actually, no. Okay. We had no image generations apart from us in the batch, mm -hmm. which was nice because I think, to be honest, YC didn't like our image generate or like the idea of image generation. I think they only took us because they saw that, first of all, we had a really great timing. We already had a product at yeah. the time of the interview and they saw that we could build good things, mm -hmm. right? And so we were the only image generation tool really that got accepted. There were two others which were in the similar field. One was generating video mm -hmm. with AI and the other one was actually doing a mock-up generation tool. So for product mock-ups, mm -hmm. which was also B2B, right? Both were mostly, well, actually the video was also B2C. And but the yeah like the image space was a bit scarce, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah they didn't accept too much in that. Okay, and so is is it that Dalton then is mentoring the startups in this area, and you're placed in a group with with these two other startups? Yes, um, okay. a, a little bit. So like every 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 startup gets assigned their mentor, right? And then you have like a section which is like a small amount of startups. And overall, I think the whole batch was 250 startups. Mm -hmm. So about probably like 500 people. Okay. Wow. Yeah, I, I'm kind of curious, like, I kind of get an idea from what you've told me, but what was a typical, okay, what was an example of a non-glamorous, I guess, typical day during the batch? And then, like, maybe a glamorous <laughs> experience okay. during the batch. So non-glamorous was... Standard, we woke up, we had 9 a.m. stand-up. Mm -hmm. uh, we all came to our living room. We did a small brief of like, what did we do yesterday? What are we going to do today? If everyone's happy with that, we go to work. We did lunch at 1 p.m., ordered in, quickly ate, went back to work, worked until dinner, ordered in dinner. And then after dinner, It depends. Sometimes we still worked. Sometimes we did some sports. We mm -hmm. had like a, a gym quite nearby. And one thing we did very often was go for a walk in the evening, just like throughout the city. Okay. This was, this was like the day-to-day -day work day, okay. you know. Nice. Which was awesome. Okay. And then, and this was kind of constant throughout the batch. Like that didn't change too much, like the standard day. For me, that was until fundraising began. Okay, okay, With fundraising, okay. I then got shunned into my room because <laughs> I needed to go to oh. meetings and they couldn't do like yeah. meetings while the others were working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was alone in my room and then it was just like, wake up 9 a.m., meeting, 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 meeting. Wow. <laughs> Which was, it was a fun experience. Yeah. I actually, to be honest, I was one of the very few ones that almost enjoyed this because mm. I think fundraising was hell for a lot of people. A lot of people <laughs> were so, so miserable during fundraising time. For us, it was, I think, the combination of not really needing any more money. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. and, of, and on the other hand, I, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoy pitching. 
And even though it gets repetitive after some time, you know, you're the one still leading the meeting, right? So you can like switch up some parts of the pitch. In some meetings, you just don't even need to pitch. They just straight up jump into Q&A. So it's it's still fun. But I can see why a lot of people don't like it. Yeah, yeah. And what was, if, if you had any like glamorous experiences or something that's kind of memorable that would only happen in San Francisco or would only happen yeah. in YC? I mean, for me during fundraising, it, it of course, you know, like the, the events VCs did to fundraise were really extra. You know, they had rooftop parties where you would talk about your startup or one VC, shout out to, to Sigma invited me into like one of the most exclusive restaurants at the pier you know just to talk and there it really gets into like this money game i guess and that's that's like the experience you get in san francisco constantly to be honest like there's one of these events every evening basically where you have this is where it also gets a bit like san francisco is a very very weird city in a way that the disparity of rich and poor is crazy Mm -hmm. like it's such a tech bubble such that if you go outside and talk to a person they're either homeless or doing a startup or in big tech there's nothing else (laughs) and then you have like these events of vcs on like rooftop bars sponsoring champagne and food and at the front step, you have multiple homeless people. Like it's, it's, a, it's a weird environment, I think. Yeah. So like it's very different in Switzerland. Very, very different. You know? yeah, yeah. Like they have no safety net there. So we had, like, we had so many Uber drivers who, who were in tech but got fired as well and now are trying to get their living oh. doing Uber. Okay, so I think that that happens in Ivy Leagues, for instance, right, is that people get imposter syndrome because it's like people of high status, people that are exceptional around you. You have amazing people that have attended these places before, you know, many, many great people and companies have come before you. And this is the case for for YC. So did you or any of the people in your team feel this or how? At the the start, of course. The thing is, we also coming straight off university were... Mm -hmm. One of the few ones actually in this situation, I'd say a lot of second time founders, a lot of experienced people, a lot of PhDs. Mm. And they're like, if you if you do the food chain, we'd be rather at the bottom for sure, (laughs) you know, which for us in the end was like even the better experience to like learn, you know, we could learn so much. And I got to say one thing that YC, as I already said, does really well is community like you bring they bring every single one on the same level mm-hmm. you know like there was for me personally at least i never experienced imposter syndrome i never felt that i didn't belong here and like despite maybe the person next to me having on paper like 20 years more experience the conversation are always leveled mm-hmm. and this is what i think yc like or this is what YC really does well. It's just like the community building, the trust, you know. Because yeah. you know, like I don't know a startup that like runs well on everything. You know, mm-hmm. like a startup is just you know five different fires, yeah. and you have only one bucket to put mm-hmm. one flame out, right? Yeah. And that is really cool to see from the inside. 
to see like these insanely high profile people and also high profile startups that you know <laughs> they suffer yeah. and they have the same problems you yeah. know and this is this is just really what YC embraces is that inside of the circle people are very transparent people try to help each other and you don't need to like put on that mask that you need to on LinkedIn where you see like mm. everything's going super yeah. and so well because startup is a struggle. Yeah. Like they, it just like there's so many things yeah. going at the same time and nothing is going right, you know. But some some like somehow you still need to make it. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. that's nice. Yeah. yeah. So to wrap up on the on the YC experience, what do you think was the greatest value add of YC? Yeah, to be honest, being there. Okay. Like being there, especially for us, it's being in San Francisco was also a big part yeah. only, but also being in this community, in this circle can, or being able to attend these events because YC also like in those events, they invited alumni, a lot of alumni, high profile people like Chesky from Airbnb, CEO of Twitch, GitLab, PostHog, and like all these very experienced people that you could talk to on a one-to-one level you know like these people you could directly ask for advice for help for introductions even and that is so so valuable to like have these things reachable for you right that's amazing wow so on the location side so we actually unfortunately were not accepted into this uh, yc batch but we were considering going to San Francisco anyway, like maybe late in the summer or in the fall for maybe a couple of weeks. So I was, I was curious, like if you were to plan a trip to San Francisco, what would you plan in the time that you were there to like maximize what you get out of it? As a startup now, you're going yeah. to work? Yeah, we were like, like as a startup most to like of network things. mostly, but but yeah, 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 yeah of course, of course. Yeah. So I think location-wise in San Francisco, you should be in the city, mm-hmm. uh, which is gonna be a, a bit more expensive. I'd recommend a Mission District, which is more on the like cheaper side. We were uh, at Bernal Heights, which is just south of Mission. Mm-hmm. This is also where YC recommends you like to be maybe dog patch Mm -hmm. and from there i think just try to get into the culture prior to that twitter is huge and i I, i'm not kidding when i say there's like one big startup event happening every day at the evening and there it just really comes down to which ones are worth and which ones are not, mm-hmm. right? Because you can really get caught up fast into like, oh, I'm going there and there and there, and then get no work done, mm-hmm. really. Because there's a lot of San Francisco people there that also are at the very, very beginning of their journey. Or there's also a lot of people that just like got hooked by this entrepreneur mindset, but don't really know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So like weeding out the events that actually like matter and where you get benefit from is quite the task. But generally, I think like San Francisco is just like, just being there and keeping your eyes open will lead to so many opportunities. We, we went to a club once and I met an investor in the club and we scheduled a call, right? Which was like, this is just San Francisco or you you find random customers in a bar just by talking to them. You also see like all the billboards 
are just tech, like B two B tech advertisements, <laughs> which is so funny. Like yeah. the, you never see this wow. kind of things. And yeah, I, I think yeah, just just going out of your house yeah. every day was for me. Like I had this rule from the start that I would leave the house every day at least for an hour, and I basically like just walked out of the house every evening and just like the things happening there randomly are, are enough to like give you so many opportunities already mm. for the start. Okay, so you'd go not out not only to clear your head but also like just to keep your eyes open. Uh, and yeah. see, oh, okay, there's an event here. That's or... that's one thing. You 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 don't go out to clear your head. <laughs> like going out is still very much related to business. Like uh, we were invited to so many parties. Yeah. And these parties are like nobody's drinking, everyone's networked. You know? VCs are trying to get into these parties. They're like there's gonna be undercover VCs scouting, there's gonna be potential customers. Like there's no real parties in San Francisco. It's all just network. network. So like your your work day never stops. Basically. Even if you go out, you you still like that's just the vibe that San Francisco has. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. Wow. So I, I just want to talk about briefly about generative AI as the space and how you see it. Uh, obviously, it's moving incredibly fast. There must be tons of competition, right? So my, my question here is, how do you think about differentiating yourselves and defensibility? Yeah, so that's a very big question, especially in the LLM space, mm-hmm. right? Because in the image space, we differentiated ourselves quite well we had our own models right mm. and you could like build upon that in the llm space it's a tricky one because we we would have the knowledge to do our own models which we also eventually want to do but currently open source lags behind foundational models of openai mm. and most of the customers they don't they don't care too much they just want the best thing out there mm. which currently is gpt yeah. right and so differentiating ourselves currently is really done one or was probably done one by via embeddings. What we did was we did our own embedding system with vector databases. And there you can, you know, accumulate data, use this for like future training potentially for your specific mm-hmm. use case. And the other thing right now, I think, which is going to be big further down the line is data privacy. Okay. So what we have, or like our well, big competitive edge is that we can still run large language models on our own devices if needed. And what we see now is more and more people actually saying, hey, do you use OpenAI or can we actually like have these things on premise, mm-hmm. right? So one thing I, I see further down the line to differentiate is actually being able to host your LLMs and then having much, much better data privacy for your customers, yeah. right? Which is going to be big. Yeah. But otherwise, yeah, like the competition is fierce in the LLM space. And there's always this big, big questions whether there's going to be like, you know, few players with foundational models like OpenAI, which are just going to be miles ahead of open source mm-hmm. or open source catching up again and like f- making their will ecosystem flourish right? right so because if you want to do something on prem it has to run on a foundation on on a, on a, an open source model right or mm-hmm. how do you i mean otherwise keep yes yeah, so you can also just train your own proprietary mm-hmm. model mm-hmm. which 
currently still isn't that good of an idea, mm-hmm. right? Because it, it takes massive amounts of money. And currently, I'd say uh, even fine-tuning is getting a bit, well, not that effective anymore. I, I don't know if you've seen LoRa with the low rank. There's like, there's tons of, tons of like new-ish, or LoRa is actually that new, but like these things are coming up that where you can actually fine tune specific models very, very fast. And I think OpenAI also is planning to do their own fine tuning platform based on GPT and releasing it this summer. Oh, wow. And so like the, the whole space is moving really fast. And it's really like for, I think on-prem is going to be one thing in the future that is going to be quite big for yeah. data privacy, especially in the enterprise level sales. Because yeah. they, they don't just, you know, if, if your data comes in and somebody directly just sends it to OpenAI, yeah. that's not really like right. what they're looking for. Right. And how is, how is OpenAI then reacting to this? Because then it, it makes it less appealing for you know developers to use this API. Do you think they could like? It, yeah. it, it's hard. Currently, they're not really because yeah. currently people don't care yeah. that much. But I think now, like, there's more and more fuss about hey, what happens with my data and yeah. yada yada. So further down the line, I I'm not sure. Maybe like I think OpenAI actually already did some plans on GPT running on-prem. Maybe now also with, you know, Microsoft, they probably have something on Azure soon. But yeah, I I can tell for OpenAI. Okay. And yeah, because like for for me as as a potential customer, it's quite hard to see from like a landing page you know, they, all these landing pages promise like, oh, yeah, we can do, you know, amazing stuff. You give us this, we give you this super high quality AI personalized output. And it's with these things, it's kind of harder to to have like a, a single unit of performance measurement to allow customers to like compare different solutions. Right. So how do you like I feel like that's kind of that's quite hard to, to do as a company of like this is our main selling point and this is how we're better than than our competition. Yeah. For us, I think the good thing is that, you know, information extraction out of documents or like this specific use case that we have is actually already a problem that there exists solutions already, which are mostly OCR based, which means they just oh, okay. like read the characters out of the document and then, you know, like regex or string match what's in it. Yeah. And we have tons of people coming to us or came to us and say, you know, we use this and it's not that great. Can you do something that's, you know, a bit more smart, yeah, right? Yeah, they yeah. want to read not only in like, you know, match keywords, but also read things out of context yeah. and stuff like this. Yeah. And for us, then we can just com- like they, these bench lines of the other solutions exist already. Mm-hmm. So you can just compare ourselves to these. Okay. Uh, I was more referring to like competitions that have like a similar LLM based approach. But, yes. Uh, that, you know, the thing is, it's hard. Yeah. yeah. Like for us, we can just simply have already existing baselines that we can compare ourselves yeah. to. But for other use cases, it's, it's, it's hard yeah. to tell. Yeah. Because like, for instance, when you say the platform models that are closed source, like OpenAI is one is ahead of open source models. How do you... I mean, you can do this ah. comparison subjectively, right? Yeah, okay. But how... Yeah, how there's, there's... Okay, for LLMs, it's really just how 
of how much of general learners they usually are. Mm. And there's tons of benchmarks. And, and actually, like they, they, they do real human tests. They, they, wow. they make them solve or do the bar, for okay, example, yeah, or yeah, the yeah. medical yeah. tests, which is really funny. So these benchmarks for LLMs are actually basically now becoming the same benchmarks yeah, as yeah. you use, uh, as you rate human performance on. Right, right. And there you can just compare it to. But otherwise, yeah, like it, it's, a, it's a hard problem, especially like if you specifically want to go for one thing to like get the performance or compare the performance. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so far, like it, it seems like it's, it's, it's a revolution that's moving fast where there's a lot of competition, but the pie seems to be very big. So that's like, I guess, something that you have going for you as well. Um, I'm just wondering, like, where, how are you distributing your, your resources? Like, uh, is it that you're trying to stand out on, 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 like, on, on data sets or on the embeddings or on a customer architecture? It doesn't sound like it on sales, on the UX side of things. Yeah. Like, so we really want to stand out on the quality of the product. So even though we still currently use foundational models, we internally like developed a whole pipeline that basically builds upon it that makes sure that you know we can reduce hallucinations, we can ensure consistency, stuff like this is still very much needed, especially with LLMs. And having multiple techniques to like prevent this and guardrail this is essentially a big competitive advantage. Because we're for sure or for sure we're not going to go all out on sales. We tried to do probably a product-led growth again, like we did with Generai. Like Generai was very similar where we didn't do any outreach, but people saw the results and people saw the quality mm-hmm. and they wanted to use it therefore, mm-hmm. right? And we tried to go for a similar approach here mm-hmm. where we can just like, you know, go to someone or someone actually coming to us saying, hey, we, we use this solution, we didn't really like it. And then us just like simply being able to show them like, hey, yeah, give us like upload that document on our website, see what happens. This is the best sales you can get, right? Yeah, if, yeah, if the yeah. customer sees it himself. Yeah, that's awesome. So I'm also wondering, initially when, when this whole LLM revolution started or, you know, like the, the big explosion of it after the release of ChatGPT, there were a lot of, you know, Twitter gurus, I guess, <laughs> that, that were talking about, you know, 100 prompts to use with ChatGPT. And I kind of thought like, ah, that's like just such an ugly, hacky way to, to do things. But I don't know. I, I, I feel like some people will definitely disagree with this and say that prompt engineering is like the next form of programming. So I'm wondering what you think on, on this. Yeah, I think currently prompt engineering is very effective. Further down the line, it's going to get commoditized mm-hmm. into like just the underlying layer mostly. Like I know that, like I've seen this firsthand with Midjourney. Mm-hmm. Midjourney has at the start like they it needed insane prompting like mm-hmm. looking at mid-journey prompts to like get a good image was like half yeah, a page yeah, yeah, yeah. but nowadays with especially with v5 uh, they integrated these they commoditized this insane prompt engineering into the model already kind of doing good results mm-hmm. and giving good results based on like a simple description of the image so like you know more needed of like high resolution <laughs> 4k <laughs> point of view yeah it's, it, it's it's crazy right yeah. and i think this is going to happen and it's already happening and yeah like but that's just an opinion right yeah. so we we don't know for sure right cuz i mean 
prompt engineering also means you have a lot more freedom. Yes, uh, controllability is controllability. huge. So. The, the thing is, like using ChatGPT especially, controllability in a like text format, in a chat mm -hmm. format, is still very big if you can ask follow-up questions. So I, I actually don't see prompt engineering being too needed in the text space anymore. Mm -hmm. In the image space, however, you, you need way more controllability. Yeah. So, and there, there's probably going to be different tools. Like a, a good friend of mine is also actually from, from the batch now, is doing uh, Iliad, which is a, a image generation tool. I actually forgot to mention, like, mention before. that before. Yeah. But he really goes all out on controllability, not only with prompt engineering, but also with like specific tools to alter the image. And then... Okay, I see. But yeah, cool. it's... Uh... Nice. So, okay, as you alluded to before, after YC, you guys moved back to Zurich. And I guess the main reason for that is, well, you're from here and San Francisco was a bit expensive to stay at for a longer term. Well, yeah, I mean, the main reason why we moved back is because we, we can't just vanish from the face of the earth with, with like, you know, uh, telling our family, our girlfriends, yeah. our, our everything, right? Because yeah. we, we came back to Zurich, especially to, like, figure things out now. And I think San Francisco is, like, really great, but it's also a bit distracting. I think in a current stage where you also like have to mainly focus on building, mm -hmm. Zurich is actually not that bad. Mm -hmm. And I think one like the most important or the coolest thing about San Francisco is just the, you know your peers and your environment really motivate you mm -hmm. to make a startup. Whether in Switzerland it's it's very different, right? Because I, for example, also now put my masters on hold, mm -hmm. and in in America it's that's basically you know the 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 obvious thing to do here it's a very very different take of people like seeing that you pause your masters for a startup like, uh. mm, yeah <laughs> <laughs> and you guys are mostly working are you guys physically working together or how? Yes, we, we try to work together as much as possible physically. Mm -hmm. uh, come in person, you know, it's easier to like tap someone on the shoulder and mm -hmm. ask some questions. But, you know, like we just try to do like something that fits everyone better. You mm -hmm. know, if you want to work from home, yeah. you can. If you want to go to the office, you yeah. can. So Okay. So when did you guys do most of the legal work? Because uh, that's another thing, right? You have to incorporate in the US when yes. you become a, a company. Yes, okay. Yes, thank God we were not incorporated in, the, in Switzerland yet. Yeah. Because setting up a Delaware company is very easy. Yeah. But YC requires you to have the US parent company. So everyone that was previously incorporated, not in the US or in Canada or in Cayman Islands, I mm -hmm. think, or in Singapore, yeah. one had to flip their entity. So they had to make a new entity in Delaware and then make the original entity the subsidiary, mm -hmm. which takes months and is expensive and tedious and whatever. And for us especially, it was really funny because like, yeah, the, the whole incorporation process was a very funny story. But in short, we, we, we were students, we were broke, and we needed the money, you know. If we had to flip, we would have been like in debt, like instantly. We we yeah. had to like take some money from somewhere else. Oh, so, but but yeah, the legal work 
especially you know yc helps you to get set up with a u.s legal firm which is also really funny because like the firm we have is like it it feels like have you watched suits from netflix no, no, no. it's it's literally out of a movie like these okay. large legal firms in the u.s it, it's so funny like okay. it, it's like in the movies but yeah they do like they're very expensive but they do their stuff very good what and do you then, need them for i mean usually thankfully not that much you, you need them for like a bit for incorporation a bit for like if you want to raise the price round which we didn't we raised on safes and generally just like questions you know there's there's tons of legal questions sometimes you want just want to answer yeah. with or to draft some official documents you know mm. like some contracts some agreements okay whatever. and do you pay like per hour that you ask yeah, for yeah. services or yeah, yeah. yeah nice so i'm kind of wondering it's a bit of a detailed question but like what are the main legal pain points you would say as a eu founder incorporating in the us yes well for one it's for sure if you have already an entity if you already are mm -hmm. a real founder incorporating or flipping this entity making the yeah. parent entity is a really pain the other thing is if you don't have the entity and only have the us entity employing yourself if you try to work from switzerland is also a pain in the ass and especially you like as soon as you start working for a u.s entity you also have to get the right visa mm. right which is again very tedious you know because like you you can't now go on an esta to the u.s since you're technically working uh, if you're working there yeah. right so there's there's several complications, but I think these are the main ones. Also, I think just the experience of the IRS for a European is is it's quite something. Like it it is. I remember. Oh yeah, one thing is that's also one point. As a European, you don't have a social security number, mm -hmm. right? And everything in the US runs via your social security mm -hmm. number, and if you. Uh, don't have one incorporation in the US requires you to get an EIN which is an employer identification number and this you need to get via the IRS mm -hmm. and the IRS is like very slow like we, we as I said we, we actually like needed the money especially like at least before we went to San Francisco because we couldn't really afford the rent there yeah. without the funding yeah. and it came quite close because we ordered the EIN somewhere in November but the IRS doesn't do email right they they only do uh, fax and <laughs> physical fax is like their only trusted uh, other like electronic oh. thing and what they did then is they sent us a letter with the EIN from the US to my hometown, which is like a small village in Switzerland, which took like three weeks, oh. three weeks, okay. And we were desperately waiting for this letter, right? Yeah. So because we, our incorporation was, was blocked by it and without the entity, we couldn't get the funding. Yeah. So we w waited after three weeks, we opened the letter, we were like, thank God. And we saw they mistyped our company name. Oh God. Uh, <laughs> oh my instead God. Of, instead of general, it was general, Inc. And there were two problems with this. First of all, there was already a general ink. So we were like, holy shit, maybe this clashes or something. Hopefully this isn't too bad. And second of all, we needed the money and we're going to San Francisco in like a few weeks. And we're like, no, like, uh, please, we, we need this money. And then we 
actually already had to go to San Francisco without the money. So we had to pay the first rent out of pocket. And there we were like, like we were approaching the second month rent due and we had no way to pay for it really. And there it was like, like we tried to like change this thing, but they wanted us to like resubmit the application, which would then get wait another three weeks to send the letter to Switzerland while we were in San Francisco already, right? And I was, I called the IRS so many times and we're like, like, no way, please, like there, there needs to be something that you can do to get this letter to us, not in physical form, right? And so they're like, okay, we can fax it to you, right? And we're like, okay, but we, we don't have a, a fax, right? We don't have a fax machine. And then we, we were like, okay, maybe you can like online fax mm-hmm. some shit, mm-hmm. right? And we bought like two subscriptions for an online fax. Those were all scams. Like uh-huh. it didn't work. It didn't work. So what, what I ended up doing was I had to, I, I bought a bike in San Francisco. I, I called every single postal office and UPS office in San Francisco. I called them. And this is such a hilarious story. I called them. I was like, can I use your fax machine? And they were like, what? And like, please, please. 2023. I, I, I need to use a fax machine. They were like, okay, like what fax need, do you need to send? You can email it to us. Like, no, I don't need to send it. I need to receive a fax from the IRS. And the funny thing is, the IRS, I had them on the phone. They said the only way you can get something via fax is when you stand physically next to the machine. Right? The, yeah. Which is, which is, I don't know why they did this. So what happened is I called every single post office and asked them if I could stand next to their fax machine oh for a few minutes to receive a fax, right? Like oh. 10 of them declined that the 11th was like some, Okay, let me remember. It was, shout out to Ibarra Brothers Printing, <laughs> which was some random ass printing shop admission that would actually like let me stand wow. next to their fax machine so I could call the IRS, tell them you can fax this to me now on this number. They would like fax a a code I would have to read out loud to actually like see that I was next to the fax machine and wow. they would fax me. Two factor, man. And it was, man, it was super insane. advanced. Uh, the IRS is <laughs> the IRS is something else. Oh I my mean, god! That is like the IRS for Europeans is like if you're a European father in the US, Jesus. just know that you have to deal with the IRS. It doesn't. <laughs> everything else is easier. Like okay. the, the incorporation itself, and like the US law and stuff like this, very easy. Yeah. Much more complicated in the US. Uh, in the EU, also fundraising, yeah. much easier in the yeah. US. But like, the IRS wow. just uh, makes the whole founding experience a bit of an adventure. Which Damn. Is, uh, yeah, no. <laughs> Why didn't you mention this is one of the glamorous moments? Yeah, it was. <laughs> I, I have, I have no, a, I have a selfie uh, in front of like the store when I finally have like the letter in the hand, nice. which was like the the biggest smile nice. on my face. Which is, <laughs> yeah, I mean, because before that, no money could come in. Basically, yeah, exactly. We're wow. we're on the last penny. Wow. We saw the Airbnb like rent coming yeah. due. And we're like. Like, do we need to like go to the bank and get some wow. like, loan or something? Wow. Okay. I don't know what you guys, how you guys incorporated. We did it with Stripe Atlas, and we had the EIN pretty easily. Like, yeah, we did. Okay. <laughs> you did like clerky or something. Yeah, we else? did clerky. Okay. And we 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 didn't get it. The IRS was oh, wow. so bad. Okay. But clerky was so like clerky support was so so nice to us. Okay. Like they they were really helpful. I don't know what like. 
maybe we just were unlucky, but yeah. the IRS completely okay, okay. missed yeah, out I on mean, us. the typo as well. Like, that's yeah. So, yeah. Okay, so now the last thing is just some rapid-fire gut-feeling questions. So, first one is around, like, the, the future of AI. Do you think it's more likely that AI saves humanity or that it ends it? <laughs> yeah, I think, like, the whole AI risk, mm -hmm. uh, like, fear mongers... I, I don't know. I'm I'm quite bullish on AI being like like maybe like the worst thing I or the most like probable thing I think is just AI turning like turning the future into a very boring dystopia mm. <laughs> where you don't need to think for yourself, creativity is gone, like let me ask ChatGPT what I should apply as for a job or something mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. like i see this i don't see ai doing a lot of bad things there's been like this whole debate already since gpt2 where there's like oh there's going to be like a massive influx of bad things mm -hmm. fake news like this is of course a risk and ai safety is something that's that's really important but i think like there's a, tons of people the end of humanity with like skynet i don't think that's gonna happen okay so your p doom as they call it you know like this probability of doom uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what would you put that as i don't know like <laughs> I don't know, I think I think it's probably rather going to be like humans splitting up and killing themselves over like whether AI will take over now or sh should be regulated yeah. than the AI itself doing it. So I'd say okay. less than 1%. Oh, okay, okay. Wow. Okay, so yeah, I'm curious like what are was the first time that you heard about ChatGPT or you tried it? Do you remember? I remember when it was released. I mean, I already used GPT-2. Okay. I used GPT-3. So you saw the announcement. Yeah, I, I mean, at first it was called DaVinci V003, uh -huh. I think. Okay. So it was just an update. But, like, OpenAI was... Like, the thing is, like, it, it was really good and noticeably better than GPT-3. But what I, I... I remember having, like, a bet with Nicholas that GPT... 3 or 3.5 or chat GPT mm -hmm. would not become as popular as Dolly 2 back then because like I tried it out and GPT 3 was already for me GPT 3 was like the mind blowing thing when I when that came out mm -hmm. and chat GPT was more like okay yeah they they did a chat interface and I mean the whole oral HF which which was really good yeah. but it, it exploded like Jesus Christ OpenAI did a good job in calling it chat GPT not GPT 3.5 yeah, they yeah. did a really good interface and yeah. the, like the chat like dominance or like the chatty behavior of it was yeah. like I think yeah I, I I was surprised that it like blew up so much yeah. to be honest okay so what what is the highest signal to noise ratio source that you use to like stay up to date with with the field or yeah. other things in your like, uh, people or podcasts or anything like that it's like, it's twitter for sure twitter. there's tons of like niche-ish people like toy xyz for image stuff is really good there's this one guy on twitter called akali q which now has a very good following jesus christ which does like daily ai paper like it, this guy just he doesn't do any bullshit. He just literally posts the paper with an abstract and a link to the archive, which is really good to stay up. So, like, for me, staying in the field is just, like, having people, like, following people on Twitter and seeing the, looking at the new papers that are getting released. Yeah. That's, for me, the, 
Okay, how, how much time do you actually have to read papers? I mean, I take time to read this. Mm -hmm. uh, lately, not that much, mm -hmm. but I mean, usually, I, I don't know. If there's a, like a big paper on something like LoRa or ControlNet in the image space lately, I, you have to take the time to just like read it. That, it, it. It's worth. It's worth staying up to date and understanding new concepts yeah. in your field, right? Yeah, 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 for sure. So on, on that a bit, like, what are some ideas that you'd love to work on, but it's, it's, you know, you have a startup now, so you have to focus on what you're doing. Yeah. But if you were like blank slate and, and could work on anything. I mean, I was really big on, like during the Pivotel, I was really big on 3D asset creation. Uh -huh. So for me, the step to like 2D or text to 2D to text to 3D was like apparent. And mm -hmm. that was like really, it's a really hard problem. It would be deep tech. But that's really, really cool. And this field is still very, very new, like rather unexplored. Mm -hmm. uh, solutions are not that great. Yeah. But I mean, there's also just been recently the NVIDIA conference where they announced that they're also going into 3D creation. Whoa. So there's going to be big players in that as yeah. well. I think one other funny thing or one community I really like is ControlNet on the like image generation side. Controlling is like this technique where you basically clone. It's mostly based on stable diffusion, and then like condition it on a specific task. Mm -hmm. So you can do like from line art to animation to whatever. And control it has a very like niche following in Japan, and they do crazy stuff with oh. it. Especially also going now into text to video, which with like very high fidelity animations yeah. is really cool to follow up so like still like 3d asset creation or control net i stay up to date with it through twitter and yeah. stuff <laughs> but uh, yeah like it's just the for me ai is just where i think my passion is mm -hmm. and creative tools like generai are just also really really cool tool to yeah. like work on or see where they're going with it yeah Awesome. Well, that, that was all I, I, I was wondering about, all my questions. I think the last thing is, is there any way that the audience can be helpful to you? Either like, you know, who, who's the ideal customer that you're looking for right now? Yeah. yeah. I mean, we, for our new product, basically, it's just if you have any kind of documents that you want parsed with like a rather complex underlying text, mm -hmm. right? like give us a shot try us out yeah. but yeah generally it's just really like giving feedback really helps no matter who yeah and uh, trying to improve and build something uh, people want is like the holy grail yeah. <laughs> the holy grail awesome well thank you so much man and that's been a, been a pleasure yes thank you for having me if you've enjoyed this episode please follow or subscribe to the show on whatever platform you use and don't forget to share this podcast with anyone interested in entrepreneurship, university student life, and the rising minds and technologies of the future, before they change the world.